and welcome to another episode of the award-winning, we love to say that, Giles, Something Rhymes With Purple. We're still so, so pleased. We're, we're overwhelmed, aren't we? Best we entertainment are. podcast. It's put a little bit of pressure on us to be entertaining as well as yes. being informative. <laughs> but I'm sure yes, we can Yes, the educational it. one would have been okay. The entertaining yeah. one, as you say, just ups the ante a little bit. But how are you? How's your health? I'm in very good form and I'm in happy form. And I spent yesterday with my friend Alan Titchmarsh. Oh. And Alan is, like me, the Chancellor of a university. He's the Chancellor of the University of Winchester, and I'm mm. the Chancellor of the University of Chester. And we were talking about giving out degrees, because in the old ceremony, you know, one shook people's hands. And Florida Benjamin, who was the Chancellor of Exeter University for a number of years, always used to embrace, give every graduate a hug. And we were wondering, will we be conferring degrees by touching elbows? And then... Alan was telling me about some of the many doctorates he has. Mm. Alan Titchmarsh has got everything. And he is, he could call himself Dr. 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 Alan Titchmarsh. I could call myself Dr. Giles Brandreth because I do have an honorary degree. How many mm. honorary degrees do you have, Susie Dent? Um, none. What? <laughs> this must be remedied. People listening in to the award-winning podcaster, <laughs> Susie Dent. She needs an honorary degree. But ha you've got degrees that you've earned for yourself, and they're the yes. ones that really count. You have a Bachelor of Arts and a Master of Arts? Yes, absolutely right. I don't really like the tradition. I don't know if it still holds at Oxford and possibly Cambridge, where if you've done a BA, you automatically get an MA and can put it after your name. I don't I don't buy that at all. So I did an MA and stopped short of a PhD because I decided that academia just wasn't really for me. So to call yourself doctor, unless you were a medical doctor, you have to have secured a PhD. Absolutely. PhD standing for Doctor of Philosophy, but the wrong way around. <laughs> the PH is for philosophy, the D is for doctor. Absolutely right. People yes, often and... said to me, Giles, you ought to be doctored. Um, but I don't <laughs> think they quite meant that. What is the origin of the word doctor? Why do we call medical people doctors and why do we call academic people doctors? It's a good question. And we're going to talk about doctors today in every single form, aren't we? Because we thought this would be quite a productive subject. And doctor itself goes back to the Latin docere, meaning to teach. Oh. So it's linked to docile, which meant willing to learn. And it's linked to document, actually, which was a written instruction um, originally. And only later did it start referring specifically to a medical expert or a medical teacher. The earliest sense of the verb to doctor was actually to confer a doctorate or a degree. And again, medicine came about a century later, and then it was used more loosely, I guess, for patching something up, for setting it to rights. So the idea of treating or altering the character of a person or thing had negative possibilities as well as healing ones. So doctoring carried that double sense of treating something for good or for bad. And the bad sense took on that idea of kind of, you know, altering in some way. Gosh. So a mm. docile pupil is a pupil willing to learn. Yeah. So we all ought to be more docile. We should, in that original sense. The old English word for a medical doctor actually was a leech. And that's nothing to do with the blood-sucking worm, by the way, even though they were obviously really uh, popular for bloodletting, etc. But it was another sense of the word meaning a healer. Gosh. So a bone leech would be an osteopath. Well, let's explore doctors in the world of words, because that's what our podcast is all about. Uh, yeah. We are global in our reach. Obviously, uh, in terms of words, the most famous doctor has to be Dr. Johnson, the man who created not the first English dictionary, but the first well-known one. Is that right? 
Yeah, it was genuinely the first, he was the first to attempt to chart a language's meanings, really, according to changing usage, not by committee. He took his evidence from the most important writers of his time. But it's important to note that Johnson actually set out to freeze the language because he didn't like all the slang, etc. And the low words, the cant words, as he called them, coming in and corrupting the language. So when he set out, he wanted to preserve English as it was. But he soon realised that was totally impossible. Um, He'd always be chasing the sun. Why was he called Dr Johnson? Because as I recall, I've been to his birthplace in Litchfield, and I remember that he came to London on a long walk with his boyhood friend, David Garrick, the great actor of the same 18th century period, and they came up to London. And I don't recall that he'd been to university. How would he have been a doctor? He did go to university, ah. um, but he left because he didn't have enough money. And actually, money really, or the lack of it, really dogged Johnson throughout his life. He called um, lexicographers harmless drudges, as you know, and he he was very prone to the black dogs of depression. Um, so it's a really good question, actually. And honestly, it's such an obvious one. I don't know how he then got the doctor. Well, you know um, what we must do. We must do some up. homework on this. Yeah. And actually, yeah. why don't we devote a proper episode to the world of Dr. Samuel Johnson? He's such an important figure. I'm embarrassed that I don't know that. I'm, equal, I'm just more embarrassed because I was actually president of the Samuel Johnson Society. So, Well, they'll be in touch. They, they will, will be in touch, actually. There have been some they very will. distinguished presidents of the Samuel Johnson Society, I know. Including you, no? No, have you been one? not oh, including okay. me. I was not. They very sweetly have asked me. But you have to go along there, and I could never manage the night that they went, so they get much better people. I think the current one is Dr. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. Frank Skinner was before me. I had to give my presidential address straight after a tour de force from Frank Skinner, who'd actually done his PhD on Johnson. So Frank Skinner would know, my guess is he was given an honorary doctorate to do with the dictionary. But I know he did start uni and then couldn't couldn't finish it. So we'll come back to Dr. Johnson. We've yeah. already touched on my other favourite linguistic doctor, which is Dr. Zeus or Dr. Zeus. Zeus, yes. Because I have told you I know that my mother, who lived some of the last years of her life in La Jolla in California, met him in the local bookshop and was excited to meet him, <laughs> as, as well you would be. Uh, and Dr. Zeus, Zeus, how do we say it? I think it was Zeus, because he, he, it was Theodore Zeus Geisel. So it would have been Zeus, but I think in American English it, was, it became Zeus, because Zeus does sound a bit odd to oh, the English tongue. And he famously gave us one of my favourite words, which was... Grinch? No, of course oh, he didn't invent Not that you are a Grinch. Um, a nerd. Nerd, that's it, in one of his books in the 1950s. You just did that funny thing that I have to say Nick Hewitt on Countdown does quite a lot, which is when you said, and of course he gave me one of my favourite words. What was it? And <laughs> Nick will say, I will never forget the story of, who, who was it? <laughs> he does that a lot. Anyway, oh. sorry. You know, you know the story of the senior moment when the fellow is telling his friends at dinner, his wife's cooking for them in the kitchen. She's doing the pasta and he's in the kitchen and uh, he's saying to his friends, we went to this amazing restaurant, this incredible restaurant. It was the first restaurant we had been to after lockdown. The food was sensational. The pasta there was impeccable. The wine flowed. It was, and the friends are saying, okay, okay, well, we can get the idea. <laughs> where, where is it? Where, where, what's it called? What's it called, this restaurant? And he said, oh, what's it called? What's it called? It's my favorite restaurant. What is it called? What is it called? He said, picture, picture a flower with a, 
with a long stem and a, a re usually red, a lovely fragrance. Um, uh, help me there, help me. What with the long, with, with, with the spikes, sharp spikes on it? What would the flower be? Uh, Ray, yeah, Raisin Ray, 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 Rose, Rose. Then he called, turned to his and said, Rose, Rose, what was that <laughs> restaurant called? <laughs> okay, let's Very get good. back to doctors, fictional doctors. And they, yes. they've given us words, haven't they? Doctor Who has given us yes. words. The TARDIS, was that invented by yes. the creators so of Doctor Who? Yes, so if you look in the... Look in the OED, you will find two coinages, two neologisms, really, courtesy of Doctor Who. And one is Dalek, obviously. Now, Dalek for ages and ages, it was thought that it was Terry Nation who created the Daleks. And I think it was Raymond Cusick who designed them. And they were introduced in the second story of the series. He claimed that he took the name from the range, this is why I loved it, the range of entries Dal, D-A-L, to Lek to L-E-K on the spine of a volume of an encyclopedia. And mm. he gave this and I thought, that's brilliant. I love that. But then he later said, no, it was just invented story. So we don't know the real reason. Daleks, do you remember I Will Exterminate? They terrified me. I used to watch them from behind the sofa. Exterminate, exterminate. Yes. They, could climb, they couldn't climb stairs, could they? But they just, oh, I just love their pepper pot shape. And then they started talking and I was just, oh, anyway. Um, and TARDIS is an acronym for Time and Relative Dimension or Dimensions in Space. Mm. But now it's used metaphorically, isn't it? So it's used for something with a much larger capacity than it seems to have on the outside. I recall that the Doctor claimed to be able to speak five billion languages. <laughs> Since I'm sure there can't be more that we know of than about, how many languages are there that we know of in the world? Actually, that's a good question. A I few hundred? Uh, I'm looking it up. Yeah, do look that one Here, up. Here, you can hear my keyboard now. So the doctor oh, claims to speak five billion languages. Six and a half thousand. Six and a half thousand languages on earth. This boastful Doctor Who claims yeah. to know five billion. How ridiculous can you get? And if he knows so many languages, why is he always talking in English? That's what I want to know. <laughs> who's he your favourite Doctor? We have to we have to answer this. It's well, like, who's your favourite James Bond? Indeed. Who's well, your you, who? You know my favourite James Bond is Roger Moore. I know. I have to say, men of your generation always go for Roger Moore. For Thank my you. dad. Because we, uh, aspire to, we aspire to be like him. I think Timothy Dalton for me, I think, or Sean. Now, how many of the Doctor Whos can you mention? This now, feel free, purple people, to join in this game. This is one of the games because I knew it may look when we listen to this podcast if it's just all tossed together like a light salad, um, but in <laughs> fact, it's a labour of love, and we think about it certainly for uh, a few hours beforehand. And uh, last night, I uh, knew we were going to talk about Doctors, and I, as I fell asleep, I tried to go in correct order. Oh, my goodness. I won't be able to do correct order. And I was able to, I, I began quite well. I began with William Hartnell, who yes. was the first Doctor Who, and I do remember. He lived near Notting Hill Gate. He had long white hair. I met him once. I met John Pertwee. He was quite early, wasn't he? He, he came was the there. third. Okay. And he was a neighbour of mine, a really nice man. I, I, you will not be surprised to know that I have met all the Doctor Whos. Uh, William Hartnell was the first. John Pertwee was the third. Who was the second He's the father of another very distinguished actor. His son is called David Troughton. He was called Patrick Troughton. Great character actor of his generation. And in a way, for me, one of the most realistic Doctor Whos. Mm -hmm. Many people loved, and I worked with him just before he became Doctor Who. I employed this next man, Tom Baker. Yes. 
The one that people can remember most about because he's so distinctive and, and quirky. He, what, he is quirky. He's a human being. Mm. In the 1970s, I was the artistic director of the Oxford Theatre Festival. We put on a production of The Trials of Oscar Wilde. We were looking for someone to play Oscar Wilde. And we ended up with Tom Baker. He hadn't yet been Doctor Who. I think he had been playing Rasputin. And he was rather Rasputin-like. He was quite terrifying. Yeah. People, I know some of the, our regular listeners are aware of this character called Gully who helps operate the technical side of our <laughs> podcast. Well, Gully looks now a little bit like Rasputin. He's grown this enormously long beard and is a little bit wild, Gully, like Tom Baker was. He turned up, I've never known anyone do this before, he turned up, we were in Oxford. He had nothing with him but a toothbrush. That's all he <laughs> travelled with, a toothbrush. He borrowed a bed, he borrowed toothpaste, all he had was his own toothbrush. But he was a genius as Doctor Who. Who came next? Yes, he was good. I'll tell you the ones that I can remember. Yes. Because I won't get the order. Peace Capaldi, of course, because I love him in the thick of it. I can remember David Tennant. Yes, the last book three. great. Mm -hmm. Peter Davison. Yes, he came immediately after Tom Baker. There was another Baker, Colin Baker. And Colin, oh, Colin Baker, Baker of course. went on to do and still does audio adventures of Doctor Who. And I know how popular Doctor Who is because I once played a a villain in one of these audio versions of Doctor Who. And I went to a, a convention. And because I had this little part as a villain on a Doctor Who audio, people were queuing around the block to get one's autograph. Doctor How Who amazing. is huge. So Colin Baker, yes. who followed Colin Baker? A very amusing character. Sylvester? Mm, McCoy? Sylvester McCoy. I thought for a moment you were going to say Tweety Pie. Sylvester <laughs> McCoy, a delightful man. Paul McGann. Do you remember him? Oh, the McGanns are lovely. Yep. Yeah, they're great. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've just remembered another one. Matt Good. Smith. Matt Smith. You've got one, still two to come. We've had William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, Christopher... Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston then David Tennant, then Matt Smith, then Peter Capaldi, and finally... Oh, Jodie Whisker. She's amazing too. Bringing in a female Doctor Who can take us on to our next most famous Doctor, a literary Doctor invented by a woman. Who am I thinking of? Frankenstein. No, not Dr. Frankenstein. Yes. Are you thinking of, yeah, you are. Yeah, okay. Because wasn't that written by Mary Shelley? It was written by Mary Shelley. And the thing about Frankenstein is everyone thinks Frankenstein was the creation rather than the doctor. Frankenstein has become this kind of typical name for a monster who terrorises its originator and destroys it or him. But actually it was, the, it was Victor Frankenstein who constructed the monster and gave it life. We often get confused, don't we? Because with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, oh, which yes, is the terrifying one. one, is it I Dr. Know. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? Yes, isn't it Mr. Hyde? I think it is. But somehow, yeah. because of Dr. Frankenstein, you think that Dr. Jekyll, and also the name it's sounds a bit more sinister, Jekyll. doesn't it? There, it? there definitely is, yes. Dr. Jekyll I agree with you. and Mr. Hyde. That was created by, who's the author of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I'm having who a created complete. so many extraordinary characters. Freak. He created Treasure Island as well. Robert don't, Louis Stevenson. Oh, Robert Louis Stevenson, of course. Actually, you know, uh, it's funny. I said I had a, a sort of complete brain freeze about that one. It's reassuring for the older yeah. listeners to find that even a young sprig like you can have a senior <laughs> moment. Based, oh, definitely. The character is based on a real man called William Brodie, who was a mild-mannered, respectable cabinet maker by day, mm. but went around copying the keys of his clients and then returning at night and robbing them blind. 
Oh. And this gave Stevenson the idea of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And Dr. Doolittle, another of my favourite characters, you know, the one who talked with the animals, walked with the animals, played by Rex Harrison in the film. Yes, you can ask me who wrote that. I'm trying to remember myself who wrote the original <laughs> Dr. Doolittle books. We're so well prepa- prepared I do know who wrote the Dr. Doolittle musical. It was Leslie Brickus. Mm. And I know this because Leslie, I was talking to Leslie Brickus about Rex Harrison, yeah. who is a bit of a hero of mine. A lot of people didn't like him as a person. And he certainly really? could be a difficult character. But he went on working to a great age, you know. Even when he was nearly blind, he would go on playing. He played Henry Higgins, revived it in his 70s. He yeah. played it first in My Fair Lady when he was in his 50s. But years later, he was virtually blind. Going around the stage, you couldn't really see where he was going, you know. Um, he'd be going, damn, 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 fuck, as he fell into the orchestra <laughs> pit. Anyway, I, I, I met Rex Harrison at the time he was making Dr. Doolittle. And he told me he'd hated it, hated it, hated oh. the animals, hated the animals. And I said to Lizzie Briggs, is this true? And he said, yes. He hated the animals, but he was such a professional. If you look at the film of Dr. Doolittle, he appears to adore the animals. They're all over him. And uh, he loathed every animal, the parrots <laughs> particularly. But Dr. Doolittle is also based on a real person, a Scottish surgeon who was a mm-hmm. doctor called John Hunter, who lived in a house in Earl's Court and kept zebras and buffaloes and uh, jackals in his garden. Well... That's definitely something we should disapprove of. We do disapprove. So do you remember you, well, maybe we can come to this, but I seem to remember that your grandchildren are full of Dr. Doctor jokes. Oh, they are. We are I, rest assured, they're waiting outside the room till I let them in, <laughs> uh, the grandchildren. Oh, brilliant. Oh, and wouldn't that they're be going to give us, Oh, we'll on. have a feast of Dr. Doctor jokes. You think maybe we should take a quick break before then? Why not? Because I also want to come to the doctors that I spent some time with when I was writing my book about tribal language and the the language of different professions and things. So I thought we could also look at that because, of course, um, paramedics included, they have a very dark sense of humour. Imagine a world, a world just like our own, but importantly, not our own. Is it the alternate dimension or are we? And does it have podcasts? The Last Post. Hi, I'm Alice Fraser, bringing you daily news from a parallel universe. It's a sweet, sweet dose of satirical news coverage, some of which will sound pretty familiar. He defended him, saying he broke the lockdown rules on a father's instinct. And I just think if Boris had shielded his as much as he's shielding Cummings, he might actually be in a position to give parenting tips. And some of it is just pretty weird. Air in space is becoming much clearer, Alice. And it's quite shocking because there is no air in space. It's empty space. So join me every single day alongside great comedians from around the world, including Andy Zaltzman, Nish Kumar, Tiff Stevenson and Will Anderson. Good luck to you. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple, where we are exploring doctors today. And Giles, before we move on, you're a bit of a hypochondriac like me, aren't you? Yes. Do you know, when I was last at the doctor, he said hypochondria. You seem to have got that as well. I mean, I've got everything. Tell me about the origin of hypochondria. Uh, well, I just find it quite interesting because it means in Greek, well, it's violate Latin from the Greek, and it means under the kind of sternum. And it was first used for a kind of form of melancholy that was thought to come from the liver and the spleen. So it's all to do with the humours in the body. And um, if you had hypochondria, you just 
thought, you, you suffered from the melancholy that was basically thought to, to live in your liver or your spleen. What I like about my hypochondria is that the way it goes away <laughs> is friend. by something else coming along. I, yes. I had a period of thinking, I've had a lot of it during lockdown. Oh, God, these headaches, these headaches. And then I had an itch under my arm. I thought, oh, no, what's the itch <laughs> under the arm? It's a growth. I've got a growth now. And I forgot the headaches completely. Uh, yes. and, and then I thought, oh, no, there's... Have I slipped something in my tummy? Oh, dear. Have I stretched my, doing my walking, have I stretched my leg too far? Oh, dear. Is my hip out? So each bit, when one bit of the body goes wrong, all the other bits get right must again. Be, there must be a medical term for this, I reckon. Limb by limb. I love, I genuinely really enjoy hanging out with doctors because there is something very, very special about the way that they see the world, inevitably, um, and you wouldn't expect anything otherwise. Um, but I think we, we talked about the paramedics. I mean, they are absolutely incredible in the way they respond and in the way in which they have to deal with quite awful things. When you were with them, because you spent time professionally with them when you were doing your thing on, on tribal language, how different groups have a way of speaking one to another, a kind of an inclusive way of talking so that they understand one another and it's a way almost of keeping outsiders out. What did you learn from the doctors? How did they talk? Why was their speech different from that of other mortals? Um, I don't know if it's particularly different apart from the strain of dark humour that runs through everything. And, you know, quite rightly so. And a lot of it is jokey. And, you know, you only have to go online and you will find pages and pages and pages of silly acronyms for things that doctors use, many of which I think are apocryphal. But ones that I came up with um, were OAP for over-anxious parent. I definitely recognise that one. P-A-D-E, Paid. I have actually seen that on uh, on a set of notes. Pissed and denies everything. Um, <laughs> and according to Phil Hammond, who regularly comes on Countdown, there's also teeth, T-E-E-T-H, which means tried everything else, try homeopathy. But, you know, the people, they call themselves by different terms. And, and you can see this if you've ever read Adam Kay's Brilliant, This Is Gonna Hurt, you, you will hear some of these as well. So the bonehead is the orthopedist, otherwise known as an orthopod. You've got the fanny mechanic, who's the gynecologist. Good grief. Um, the Lancelot, apparently one who, oh, sorry about this, one who drains abscesses. Um, and are known in the US as a Pokemon. Then you've got millions of different versions of things like NFB, which is normal for Banbury, mm. um, that kind of thing, you know, depending on where you are. Shadow Gazer is a radiologist. The Rear Admiral is a proctologist. Bones and Groans is the general ward. The Stream Team, the urology department. And Ward X, rather darkly, is the morgue. Don't. Yeah, that's not where you want <laughs> to go. That is ever. a bit grim. Ah, good it's afternoon, good. Mr. Brandt. I'm afraid your mother has been moved to Ward X. Oh, dear. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Um, and then you've got PFO, Piston Fell Over, Smurf <laughs> Sign, a patient who felt who goes blue. VIP, I've seen this one as well, very intoxicated person. That's quite mm. a regular one, I think. Oh, and so it goes on. There's a, a lovely one again. I don't know if this is true, but acute pneumoencephalopathy. <laughs> For an airhead. <laughs> I love it. Their knowledge of medical terminology is second to none, but they, they clearly have to have this, this kind of shorthand in order to relay what type of patients we really are. Well, we have listeners all over the world. And if you are a medical person, doctor, nurse, or even a patient, um, do feel free to let us have any of the medical terms you have come across. If you can add to Susie's incredible list, do get in touch with us. It's purple 
at somethingelse.com. Somethingelse.com. Without the G. So it's purple at somethingelse.com. And we will try to share some of them with you. We do actually look at all the correspondence we get. And we get a lot of international correspondence. Last, was it the only the other week we were looking at nursery rhymes? And oh, yeah. This came in, this will amuse you, from Hugh Griffiths, who's a purple person in Australia. We did a, uh, an episode, and all the episodes, by the way, are available. You can go back. There are 60 or so episodes. We did one focusing on nursery rhymes. And uh, Hugh Griffiths has come, is sharing with us a nursery rhyme that's famous, very famous in Australia. It's called The Magic Pudding by Norman Lindsay. It's about a bad-tempered pudding that loves to be eaten. And it's rather eccentric owners, a sailor, a penguin, and a koala. It's full of brilliant illustrations, rhyme songs, and sea shanties. It's a classic down under. I think the whole book is called, like we have a book called Mother Goose, where yeah. you'd find all the nursery rhymes. The magic pudding is where they'd find all of theirs. As the pudding says, eat away, chew away, munch and bolt and guzzle, never leave the table until you're full up to the muzzle. I like it. Love that. It sounds brilliant. Mm. Um, oh, I like the idea of that. I'm going to search that one out. Uh, there's... A lovely email from Eileen Orton. I hope I pronounced that right, Eileen. He says, I've always associated the word skewwith or askew with the name of Anne Askew, lady-in-waiting to Catherine Parr. But I believe you have a different explanation, Susie. Have you ever Googled the word askew, no, Giles? No, I haven't. Oh, do that. And you will, you'll be in for a surprise. I won't, I won't tell you. I'll get the purple listeners to do that too. Use Google. A-S-K-E-W. Yeah. And something interesting it's just, happens. It's just cute and clever. Oh. Anyway, skew whiff. It is a combination of skew, which is from Old Norse and simply means at an angle, exactly as we would expect it to today, and a whiff, which means a puff of air. So skew whiff describes something that's been blown off course. And to take the whiff years ago meant to smoke. So you would take in tobacco, which is where we get the bad smell of whiff that we use today. Mm. Um, there was, in fact, there was a horrible quotation in the OED, um, which says, the poisonous whiffs she sends from her toes and armpits. <laughs> Not good. Anyway, so yes, skew whiff, something that has been blown askew. And that skew goes back to, as I say, to the Vikings, legacy of the Vikings. Well, you'll be able to do this one easily if you would do skew whiff so easily. Spick and span. Matt Reynolds yeah. has been in touch saying, I'm a cleaner by trade. Can you tell me the term spick and span? Where does it come from, please? Yes. Well, start with this span. Uh, so that span is a chip of fresh wood. That's what that means. And the spick bit, I think probably goes back to Dutch and Flemish. They have words like spikspelde new terrible pronunciation but they have spick in there and spick is a riff on so so the spick in our expression in our english expression is a riff on that dutch word uh, which basically means as new as a splinter from a freshly cut log there's a wonderful postscript from matt reynolds who has told us he's a cleaner by trade when rallying the cleaners at the theater where i work i like to announce once more onto the breach, dear friends. Excellent. Isn't that a brilliant? Excellent. Oh, and what a key, what, yeah, key workers. And cleaners everywhere just need to be applauded, really, because they've had to deal with a lot during lockdown. Um, we anyway, salute the cleaners. Can we, we salute you, Susie Dent, as you give us your three words of the week? So I'm going to start with a nuncheon. 
I'm not sure if you're partial to a luncheon. You might have one with your luncheon, and that is simply a drink taken at noon. Oh, I like that. A luncheon. I like a little luncheon. Probably an alcoholic drink, but it doesn't have to be. Also, a really lovely older word for, well, it, I don't know if it's older actually, but it's an old English word for empathy. It was essentially fellow feel. Or one word. That's lovely. You've got a lot of fellow feel, uh, which is really cool. And then there is, um, if you want to make something purple, you can empurple it. So that's a verb from the 16th century. Also, when your face goes bright red, does it empurple? It becomes empurpled. Three simple, rather effective words. I particularly like the notion of nunchen. Doctor, doctor, I keep thinking I'm a pair of curtains. Pull yourself, Pull yourself together. together. Yeah, that's a nice one. See how many of these you know. These have been contributed by my various grandchildren. They're going to feature in my new book, What's Black and White and Red All Over. So in the coming weeks, you'll get quite a, a few newspaper? of these. Uh, not just a newspaper. It could be so many things. It would also be an embarrassed penguin, couldn't it? <laughs> yes. Or a sunburned zebra. Yes. zebra. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Doctor, doctor, I think I'm a bell. Um... Take these pills. Give me a ring. Yes, oh. yes, exactly. If it's not better, <laughs> shortly give me a ring. Oh, that's very good. Doctor, doctor, I think I'm a bridge. What's come over you? Well, so far, two cars, a lorry, and a double-decker bus. Should <laughs> <laughs> we get over yourself? Uh, oh, oh, that's good. You can invent <laughs> these. You're absolutely brilliant. Doctor, doctor, I keep thinking I'm a dustbin. That's a load of rubbish. <laughs> That's it, don't talk rubbish. Susie Dent, you were born for this. Um, I'm going to give you just one more and then it's time to go. Doctor, doctor, I think I'm a spoon. Uh, I think she was rubbing. (laughs) I have no idea. Doctor, doctor, I think I'm a spoon. Sit still and don't stir. Ah, very good. That's our lot for this week. If you want to send in your favourite Doctor Doctor jokes, or if you want to raise the game and uh, give us some of the words and language from the world of medicine, uh, do feel free to get in touch. Purple at uh, something, something else, else dot, dot com. com. Okay. Something Rise with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Harriet Wells, Grace Laker and Rasputin. Yes, he's going to be played by Tom Baker in the film It's Gully!